Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Bryant Monte. And I'm Nicole Franklin. And Bryant, you have some friends with us today. How'd you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> you told me and i was so excited so yes you have friends let's meet them come on well yes i uh, want to go back to the time when i was working at michiana news channel which is right real, real close to south bend indiana anybody mm. been to south bend you've been to south bend i actually have yeah. not i did not have know not. you then <laughs> right so so some people ask the question well what's michiana yeah. And um, so what it is, is Michigan and Indiana combined, because that's part of that region where we were located. We would broadcast in uh, Michigan and Indiana. Nice. So I had the pleasure to meet um, Brother Sage, who's coming up. And we have been friends for a number of years. So we go way back, as they say. Cool. So cool. I was doing uh, radio and he, had, he also does radio as well. Mm-hmm. in the area and a lot of history and also his wife charlotte so welcome to the show you all welcome it's good being here and uh i'm delighted to see you're doing well and excited to be in the presence of nicole franklin oh <laughs> <laughs> Ditto, i'm excited to be in your presence we have a true griot with us today everybody and so this is going to be very special yes um just so people know so you all live where South Bend, Indiana, which is Northwest Indiana. And as Bryant said, we're right next to Michigan. Yeah, I had not heard that Michiana term before. So this is new to me. I am a Midwesterner, as our audience knows. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, East St. Louis. I rep that too with my family. And so a lot of history there. But Indiana, I... I've only drove through and I never got a chance to stop and visit the local haunts. So I'm hearing that um, I missed out on a lot of our history, African-American history, um, by not meeting up with you all <laughs> and seeing, you know, you know, what we've been through and how that migration happened. Well, before we get into that, Nicole, I helped develop Cardinal Ritter College Rep High School in St. Louis. What? <laughs> and also, I was principal for Holy Angels in East St. Louis on Caseyville. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> we'll probably end up related after this. <laughs> right. Oh, my No, you're my cousin. You're you, my cousin. You may be. <laughs> We're all related. I think the kind yeah. had something to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, we are. In some way, we are. (laughs) Neighbors, possibly blood relatives. This is fabulous. (laughs) Brother Brother Sage, I just want to talk about, um, you know, how we connected. Yes. Do you remember that? (laughs) Yeah, it was very easy. Um, When I moved to Indiana, I found myself working for the Department of Transportation as the EEO officer for the northern northwest counties. 13 counties, and every morning I'd get in my car provided by NDOT and drive to the port where my I operated out of, the main location. And I had the radio on, the soul station, I forget the call letters. And uh, I heard somebody say, good morning, Michiana. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the beginning of right. the relationship between Brian Monte and I. <laughs> and I called him up and told him, said, you a bad brother and you ain't from here, okay? Yeah, right. Because I seem to get along with people much better that aren't from here. Right. And uh, we, we got to know each other. 
exchange programs. He took a class that I taught. You know, I mean, it was just, you know, really good to be able to communicate with a brother who was not from here, but at the same time, knew com arts. Mm-hmm. He knows com arts. And I know this program is going to be a tremendous success because he's good. And Nicole, I'm impressed with you as well. Oh, so nice. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure I have a lot to learn, too, because I'm just getting into radio. So you two, I know, are veterans. So I got my pen and paper out. And then Miss Charlotte, I know that you've been in the community doing some heavy duty work. <laughs> yeah, I'm a community person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I do. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you've been in. Oh, no, com- I'm, not, I'm not putting it down. I'm just, okay, you've been I'm in communities. Not a, I'm you've not been in communications like uh, Brian and, um, and Verge. <laughs> yes. Brother Sage. Yeah. <laughs> Brother Sage, yeah. Well, you've been in communities that a lot of people wouldn't even touch, like they wouldn't even visit, right? So, well, I, you're talking about the criminal justice system? Yes. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that. People have said that to me so often how do you work how do you do that and Mm -hmm. i'll tell you working with working with felons and working with people who have addictions and i've worked i've taught in college and i've uh, you know i've done a lot of things in the community i'll tell you something they are the most honest people in the world Mm. if they don't like you you know it Mm -hmm. and they may have to follow your rules but they still let you know they don't like you Mm-hmm. And if they do like you, they're very loyal. And so they're, they actually are some of the most honest and decent and forthright people I've ever met. I, I, it was really easy to meet, to work with people who had um, law enforcement difficulty or substance abuse difficulty because nobody was born a felon and nobody was born a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. And, and even nobody was born a burglar or even a child molester. So okay. that that human being is there in them who wants to be treated with dignity and respect, just like everybody else. So it, it actually wasn't hard at all. But I know that from the outside, it looks like, oh, my goodness. But um, the other thing is that Brother Sage and I, we live right in the middle of uh, a neighborhood, maybe that a lot of people think, oh, my God. So a lot of the my clients walk up and down the street and they say, hey, Miss Pfeiffer, how you doing? <laughs> you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they greet me. They bring their babies up. They, they bring their spouses. You know, this is a very small community. And, they, yeah. and uh, it's been over 20, 25 years now and people still greet me. So it's, it's really, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. We'll have more from Brother Sage and Charlotte Pfeiffer Gillum when we return. And we're back with more rich African-American history from the Gillums. So, Brother Sage, you mentioned that um, you were, well, Bryant mentioned that he was part of a class that you taught. What was the class? Well, the class that Bryant took was understanding the African-American experience. Mm -hmm. See, as you know, Nicole, Mm -hmm. having come out of the East St. Louis, St. Louis area, you know, and Bryant having been all over the country like I have, Mm -hmm. and all the schools that we go to visit, very few of them say anything about African-Americans except the usual Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, Frederick <laughs> Douglass, 
that they don't know that we invented over a hundred thousand things. They don't know that we were involved with aviation, Bessie Coleman and some of the others. They don't know that we fought in the revolutionary war. They they don't know we fought in the civil war because those schools don't teach us about us or people that look like us. They teach us about George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, you know, uh, others during the Civil War time. So what we have to do is we have to teach ourselves because there's a glorious future from our past. We need to understand that. And the best way to do it is have a Brian Monte or Nicole Franklin (laughs) or Brother Sage or Charlotte Pfeiffer instill how you can go about the business of finding out how beautiful people we are and how remarkable through all the trials and tribulations we've had to go through. Yeah. And, and I just want to go back to how important this, this type of education is, because a, a lot of times young people may question what difference does it make to know this history? Because I've, I've run into that, you know, in, in some ways, I mean, not overtly necessarily, but mm-hmm. trying to get make that connection with young people so they would understand and appreciate that rich history that we're talking about? Well, I think first and foremost, you have to have people who love the fact that there was a glorious future from our past and loves to teach it because, you know, an old friend of mine by the name of Naeem Akbar, Dr. Naeem Akbar wrote a book Uh, about knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. We don't know who ourselves are. We don't know what tribes we come from out of Africa. We don't know how we got here. We don't We don't know the role we've played in America. We just don't know. And someone like the two of you or us or others, you know, we incorporate love in the style of sharing information, then it clicks. It's not like someone who doesn't care or someone who doesn't know or doesn't want to know teaching you something that can help you recognize that you're a beautiful people. As they say in Kenya, they call that Watu Wazuri, which mm. is beautiful black people. Watu okay? They don't know that. And, uh, you know, some of us have a flair for being able to do it more so than others. I mean, to me, it's remarkable to have been a principal in East St. Louis in 81, 82, <laughs> and to be able to have youngsters that were in eighth grade at their sixth grade at the time call me. 50 some years later, wanted me to help them with their children. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, it's nothing like being able to incorporate your ability with that word love because it means so much. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, it is. I'm wondering, because you're in East St. Louis, and, and this feels so family right now, I, I don't want our audience to feel like they're outsiders, but <laughs> did you ever run into the Hudlands? Oh, the yeah. Hudlands? Okay, so they're brothers. Yeah, so they're my cousins. And um, Peter Hudlin, I believe it was Peter Hudlin, not Richard, but um, was a conductor on the Underground Railroad. And I understand you are very much aware of Underground Railroad stops and how it, quote unquote, ran and everything that happened um, through this area. The fact that you were in East St. Louis means that your people probably had some kind of tie to Louisiana at one time or another, because you were going westward in search Mm -hmm. of warmth of other suns. Mm -hmm. 
the book that was written a couple of years ago by what was the name Isabel Wilkerson? Oh yeah, In Search yeah. of Other Sons. Mm -hmm. You were part of the many routes that went west. The great migration. The great migration. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. trying to find a better way of life, and also what we characterize as soul seeking safety, because down south you didn't have safety. You mm -hmm. had more safety going west than you did from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So East St. Louis plays a vital role. The riots, everything. The people like Miles Davis, who I love. People like, uh, what was the dancer's name? Catherine Dunham. Catherine Dunham. Who yeah. I know. Is that what Jackie Joyner Kersey? Jackie Joyner Kersey. But East St. Louis has a glorious future and has tremendous potential. And what happened was business and industry left St. Louis mm -hmm. and all the black people that had migrated north found themselves without a job or no industry to go to, which had taken care of them for a while. And mm -hmm. everything about East St. Louis changed. Yeah. Okay. So what we have to do is we have to put that story together and build on that and show people what they can do to accomplish. I, I, the, the, the Catholic system I was with at the time has a hospital there, and it was the largest employer of folk in East St. Louis, mm -hmm. which wasn't the case when the factories were going real strong, right? Right, mm -hmm. right. Okay, so, you know, the same thing, you, run, you see that pattern everywhere you go. You see it in Ohio, you see it in Indiana, you know, everybody was going north trying to get to Detroit. Some made it to St. Louis. Some made it to Chicago. Some made it to Gary. Some made it to South Bend. Some made it to Detroit. And all those factories, a lot of them have changed drastically over the years, meaning that we had to adapt or adjust to a new way of living and not be dependent on something that doesn't exist any longer. So it's been very difficult understanding that whole process. Yeah. Just so we understand, because I think a lot of times we uh, abbreviate this history, especially when it comes to uh, the Underground Railroad. Could yeah. you go into a little bit more detail about things that people may not know or understand of that history? Well, it wasn't underground. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's the Underground Railroad. <laughs> Right. There's the Underground okay. Railroad and there's the Overground Railroad, okay? You know, okay. we had to take whatever route was possible in order for us to adjust or adapt or continue to develop, okay? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we have a remarkable capacity for staying out of the cold, okay? We come from a continent that's growing in, with popularity, growing with numbers, very rich with resources. I mean, Africa is the highest continent on the earth. It's closer to the sun than any other continent. So therefore, developmental potential there is infinite. Make sure that you explain. People don't even know what the Underground Railroad is. So people what, people, what, don't, what is it? What, people don't know about the Underground Railroad. People don't know about where they, where they come from because it's just not taught. What was it? Mm -hmm. It, the Underground Railroad was a means of us escaping from one of the most horrible institutions the world's ever seen called slavery. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it, it's so, so vast. You know, I, I, I mean, I've traced mine all the way back to Africa, you know, and how we got yeah. to the Chesapeake Bay area and 
I don't know if ours was Newport News or Norfolk, but I do know we came from Virginia because one of the plantation owners wrote a letter to Levi Kaufman in Indiana saying, would you please help the Ampies leave out of Virginia, go through West Virginia, which came much later, and get into Kentucky and get into Ohio, get into Indiana, get into Michigan, and get into Canada. Okay, wow. that seems to have happened better than 4,300 times with the Underground Railroad routes that's known to go through Philadelphia, through Baltimore, through Ohio, through Indiana, through Illinois, Missouri. I mean, even Utah and Oregon and Washington uh -oh. and California and Mexico and the Caribbean. I mean, it's just a fascinating story on what we've had to do to survive. A lot of that's related to the Underground Railroad. Do you mind if I add something? Please do. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I, I am, you all were talking about St. Louis. I was born in Ohio. I grew up in Michigan and now I live in Indiana. And okay. so one of the Underground Railroad trips that Brother Sage used to take people to is Ohio, Kentucky was a slave state. Ohio was a free state. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Ohio River ran right between them. Mm -hmm. There's a, a museum in Cincinnati that everybody should go to. They have a movie there that you can see. It actually was paid for by Oprah Winfrey. But oh. it shows how people escaping slavery from the South through woods, through railroads, sleeping, you know, mm -hmm. under logs. Some people would help them along the way, you know, would feed them. They had that connection. That's why they called it a railroad, because there were different places. Some white people, but a lot of black people, a lot of free blacks mm -hmm. helped people escape slavery. But they would have to cross the Ohio River. Now, if you know the Ohio River, it is deep and wide. Mm -hmm. They would cross the Ohio River, and there was a family of Quakers way up on a hill. And the messages would get through. They would have their lanterns at night. Mm -hmm. And those escaped slaves would have to cross that river and then climb through woods and trees and poison ivy all the way up this hill. And then this family, this white family, hid them in like their potato cellar or their root cellar or their coal cellar. Mm -hmm. And they may have to stay in that cellar maybe for a month, maybe for mm -hmm. a week, maybe for a day. And then when the slave owners on their heels would cross the river on their horses, chasing them with dogs and everything. And so these people would hide them and maybe feed them, but maybe not. And then they would have to escape at a certain time and go to the next station. So it was a railroad mm -hmm. because there were connections. Yes. And there were, and there were um, places where they could stop on the way. And it, it was a, a population of people who were all connected. So they, they left Kentucky or Mississippi or Alabama, mm -hmm. slaves, got to a free state, Ohio, but they couldn't stay there because their slave owners were. And then they would try to get to Michigan, come through Indiana, where mm -hmm. we are now, mm -hmm. trying to get to Michigan. But what they were trying to do was get to Canada, yes. where they would be free. If they could get to Canada, they would be free. But we know how Black people are. Some of them never got to Canada. Mm -hmm. or Michigan or Indiana. A lot of them stayed in Ohio. Some mm -hmm. of them stayed in Indiana. A lot of them stayed in Michigan. And some of them did get to Canada. Mm -hmm. But it's called an underground railroad because it's underground because people didn't know about it and they couldn't find it. 
and railroad because there were stations of people, places, and things yeah. that that helped them along the way. A lot of kids think it's actually a railroad, so that's why. <laughs> right. That's why and I wanted to clarify that information. Thank you. Yeah. Used to take um, <laughs> all these different places, and he's still and he's going to start doing it again. Oh, wonderful! And now you're reminding me that. I mistakenly have always thought Quakers were really East Coast based, but it feels like Quakers, they're yeah. Ohio yeah. and Midwest. Ohio had the most slaves escaped from slavery of oh. any state in the Union. Over wow. 75,000 people escaped to Ohio. Little towns in Ohio like Chillicothe, Washington Courthouse, Hillsboro, Urbana, Bell Fountain, Springfield, Troy, Pickle, Warren. All these towns had runaway slaves that had got to Ohio because mm -hmm. it was a free state. Mm -hmm. Michigan was a free state. Indiana, where we're located, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana wasn't a quote slave state. Slave state, right? But blacks were, were not welcome. Yeah, they, they couldn't make up their mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they they made up their mind, but they, right. they wouldn't be they wouldn't be slave. But they also didn't want us to be here. So yeah. Yeah, you didn't, didn't want us to be anywhere in America at that time. True, true. This is true. Okay. What would some of these structures um, have to have as far as their architecture? Anything special in order to sneak people in, like a back entrance? I'm sure you guys mm -hmm. have visited some of these sites. I need to do that. That needs to be my my summer oh, tour next God. year. What but, do some structures look like, babe? Were they hit? Structures were everywhere. Um, some structures were just in the woods. Mm -hmm. so some structures were in the bottom, the basement of homes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some were in barns. Some were in the attic. In the attic okay. You know, and some were on boats because of the, the many mm -hmm. different rivers. There was one lady who knew that her that they were about to recapture her, and she killed all her kids because she didn't want them raised in slavery. I mean, the stories are That's beloved limited. by Tony Morris. Beloved. Okay. So, I mean, it's just tremendous. And it's a fascinating history. And if more people knew their history, you know, there wouldn't be so much trouble, so much violence, so many out of pocket ordeals that happened because and more black people would vote. You wouldn't have to beg black people to vote if they only knew what we went through, not only to yep. vote, but just to live. But I, you know what? But and then that's I noticed, Brian, one of the things that you were talking about in your questions mm -hmm. are young people. We adults have to take responsibility for not continuing to teach our children right. about slavery and Jim Crow and the civil rights movements. Because there wasn't just one, there were several. We mm -hmm. have we've dropped the ball and we need to pick that ball back up and start teaching our children from the time they can talk and listen about the hardships, because that hardship is cyclical. And if you notice, mm -hmm. it's back. Right. It's so important to understand the role we've played. Yeah. And that's going to help us recognize what we need to do to be more futuristic, as opposed to just laid back and unknowing or, un, or, or, or not knowledgeable. Yeah. We'll have much more from South Bend, Indiana, when we return. We're back with the Gillums talking about building communities. One thing I want to touch on, Charlotte, too, is your uh, 
political involvement. Yeah. <laughs> well, in actually, South Bend in particular. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, one of the reasons that I got involved politically had to do with my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, you know, I live in a, quote, inner city neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, that had all the traditional shortcomings of inner city living, but also all the benefits, which aren't talked about enough. And that is that we loved each other. We cared about each other. And in this particular neighborhood, it really represented America. Black people, Latinx, the GLBTQIA community, Catholic, Jewish, Baptist, atheist, anyone, all we wanted is pick pick your junk up from your, your, your lawn and keep it cut. That's all we care about. But anyway, the city, because we are in mm-hmm. a city west side neighborhood, the city uh, didn't put as many resources right. into our neighborhood. And so we, the neighbors got ticked off and they said, well, Charlotte, you're going to run for the city council. And I'm like, okay. And and as Nicole had said, my background was corrections. And so people knew me. I kept their children out of prison. I helped them and I was in the paper a lot. So I had name recognition. So I ran for the city council and I served for 12 years. And I, and this is sad in 2000, 2000 now, Mm-hmm. Just 22 years ago, mm-hmm. I became the first Black president of the South Bend City Council. Isn't that wow. sad? It Only is 22 sad. years yeah. ago did we have a Black president. But anyway, that's how I ran. And I ran on the ticket of neighborhoods, revitalizing neighborhoods, you know, safety and working together. And that was my platform. And with the help of my neighbors, because I have wonderful neighbors we did. We got a lot of things accomplished. It was a. It was one of the deep honors of my life. Mm. Do you miss it? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still in it. Okay, you still actually, in it. Actually, the party just hired me to do community outreach because I, like I said earlier, the voting. Um, yeah, voting here is just like everywhere in the country. People are not voting. People don't understand. Yeah. Uh, what we've been through. People don't understand the importance. They don't, they don't, they don't know civics anymore. You know, they don't teach it in school. Right. So people <laughs> don't understand the benefits, you know, of voting. And so I've never stopped working politically. I just stopped being an elected official, but no, I don't miss it. Cause this way, you know, when I was on the council, I kind of had to behave myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> but 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 when you're just a citizen, I can say what I want. Yeah, and, right. I do. <laughs> and I write articles to the paper and I go down before okay. the city council and I, you know, I tell them about the inequity and the inequality in certain neighborhoods. Okay, yeah. this this is one I wanted to to ask you because you've held office, you've been there, you know what it's like. I, I think voting is one thing. But my, I'm advocating, what do we do once we get these people elected or what should they do to help make a change? Because too often you say, just go vote. We vote. Next thing you know, you see no change. Yes. I I wonder what, what is missing in that equation? Because it's just because you get elected, just because we don't have enough. Right. Yeah. We don't just say, okay, we're finished. You got elected. No, we still have to stay on people. We have to go right. to council meetings. When they yeah. have the budget, when they get ready for the budget, we need to be present for those budget hearings and find out where the, our money's being spent. So we still yeah. have to stay involved and we still have to, and we have to hold people accountable. 
If they claim, if they, if they promise to do certain things, then we need to say, hey, you didn't do X, Y, Z, and they better have a good explanation. And if they don't, then this is where we fall short. Mm-hmm. When we love, because you know how we are, we love, when we love someone, we really love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, I think that Black people have got to hold other Black people accountable. Yes, yeah. Just because right. you're Black doesn't mean you are not going to be held accountable. And I think that's what we're not doing anymore. You yeah. know, one of the places that people used to be held accountable, Bryant, is church. Oh, yeah. And people don't go to church anymore. A lot of young people don't go to church. And um, that that place where you can lovingly approach someone. Oh. And I mean, confront with a small C, no violence. But, you know, people used to, I would be shopping at uh, Kroger. And people would come up to me in front of the lettuce and say, I thought you were going to do. And I'd, I'd spend 20 minutes in front of the lettuce talking to people. Mm-hmm. And I could mm-hmm. explain to them. We don't do that anymore. I think I think maybe um, well, what we're doing right now, computers yes. are wonderful, mm-hmm. but they're right. not a good means of communication. You know right. what I mean? Right. When you see someone, you're looking at them in their face. You can see how they feel. If they feel bad, you can hear the tremble in their voice. People can cry. And then COVID, I think, just killed us off. It's true. Because not only then we stopped going to school, we stopped going to church, we stopped going to restaurants. So I so to answer your question directly, just because someone gets, first of all, we have to run for office. Yes. Number two, we have to help people run for office. Yeah. Number three, once they get elected, we have to hold them accountable. And number four, we citizens have a role too. We have to show up at these meetings and know what's going on. Amen. And I put it another way. Mm-hmm. I say it's developing capacity. Hmm. We have to develop who we are. We have to develop our neighborhoods. Yep. We mm-hmm. have to develop our children. We have to plan. We have to learn how to be better communicators. Yeah. Okay. And we've mm-hmm. got to look at that. And this may be old fashioned, but it worked for us before. Because we went through the trials and tribulations only to be where we're at today. Mm-hmm. And now we're confronted with more trials and tribulations called the new technology, <laughs> the Zoom. <laughs> as Lionel Richie talked about in Zoom. the 70s, the 1970s, which is what we're doing right now and yeah. what we're going to do in the future. And isn't it interesting? Someone African-American put that term out there. And now it's caught hold and taking form. Go ahead and sing capacity. Go ahead and sing it for us, Brother Sage. Yeah, we can do it. We can do it through Alexa. We can do it technology. You, you do Zoom, it through technology. Some Lionel Richie. Yeah. But listen to the words. Yeah. Zoom, uh-huh. the, the, the Commodores. Commodores, Lionel Richie. Technology is fantastic. I'm not an anti-tech person. Right. It's right. just not the only way. We should use it as a tool. Mm-hmm. As, as a, it's not an end-all, be-all. We can't forget those relationships. You know, oh, parents yeah. still have to show up to school yes. when their kid is, you know, didn't, you know, got smart with the teacher and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, but but Brother Sage is correct. Developing capacity and people aren't running for office Mm. and people are and also people aren't supporting people 
who, who run, run for, for office. office. Yeah. And people are so willing to believe junk, junk data, <laughs> junk. Right. I mean, I, I'm just stunned. I'm stunned. I, I, I'm stunned. But I'm not through because I'm, I'm going to go out there and get these people to vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Show up and show up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. But that's just one thing. Right. That's just right. one thing. Another thing that's extremely important that we need to focus on as a people is our nutrition, our mm-hmm. health. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to learn how to eat the right things yep. so we can grow and develop. Yep. Mm-hmm. We need to take care of our bodies. At yep. 77, soon to be. As a youngster around Brian's son's age, you know, <laughs> I I couldn't focus on what it would be like in the 70s. And here I am in the 70s, and it's a good thing I start taking care of my health because I'm very blessed to be here. Yes. Okay. I've gone through all kinds of trials and tribulations health-wise, which is my fault for not doing those things, or better yet, not knowing. So we've got to drop love in a variety of different circles. Hmm. The creator has a master plan. And in South Bend, the person I admire the most is my wife because Hmm. she is here doing what needs to be done on the ground level. As a matter of fact, I like being here because I can hide behind her. Okay. Brian, you know that's not true. So sweet. We'll have more right after this. And we're back talking with the Gillums about the importance of education. I'll tell you, I was, I'm I'm a baby boomer. Mm -hmm. And so I graduated from high school and I expected to get married, have kids and live happily ever after. It didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did get married. I did have kids. The happily ever after part didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So here I am, a young woman, two children, divorced high school education, what was I going to do? I had no skills. Mm. Fortunately, because Indiana University has a campus in South Bend, I finally got myself to college and I was born again Mm. in the classroom in college. I had my second being born again. And how old were you then? I was 27. Yeah, a non-traditional student, they say. Yeah, I'm non-traditional. I didn't go to college until I was 27 years old, divorced, and had two children. And But I'm telling you, the first time I sat down in that classroom, I knew I had arrived, and I haven't looked back. Oh. So I needed, I tell that to my grandson. I had no skills. I couldn't, I couldn't sew. I couldn't build. I couldn't cook. I couldn't paint. But I was smart. I was always, I've always been smart. And people with no skills need to go to college. And that's what I did. Oh. <laughs> School does make a difference. It, it not just makes a difference in how much you earn. Hmm. It makes a difference in how you think. It makes a difference in how you conduct yourself. It makes a difference in your expectations. Mm-hmm. It lifts all boats. People aren't as violent. And as, as Brother Sage said, eating, they experimented in prisons when, yeah. they, when they took meat out of the diets, less meat and less sugar, oil, and salt in the, in, the, in the diets of prisoners, there was less violence. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a test. Yeah, that's research. That's proven. So, so some of those basic things we have to get back to. But education. Well, the, the thing that's so unique is in 1942, my mother went to an HBCU called Wilberforce. 
the oh, oldest yes. HBCU school in the country. In Ohio. Okay? In Ohio. <laughs> and then I, when she, she had me, she dropped out of school, got married, tried to raise a family, didn't work out. So she decided to go back to school. She not only went back to school, she took me and my two brothers with her. Oh. So we were exposed to Wilberforce, which at that time had broken off into two schools, Wilberforce and Central State, Ohio. I went to Central State HBCU. Yes. And that's where I graduated from. I came out of that school and left undergrad and went to an Ivy League school, the University of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And would you believe the University of Pennsylvania? I don't feel as though I learned as much there as I did at the HBCU. Mm-hmm. Okay. I because believe it. Everything at Penn, which was an Ivy League school, you know, taught me how to be like people who oppressed me. Okay. Mm. Oppressed my oppressed my culture, even though good people came out of there. And I loved that experience. And then I went to University of Dayton. Mm. Okay. You know, which is a parochial school in Ohio. Then I went to Indiana University of South Bend, where she went and got involved in environmental policy analysis and made trips to Mexico and what have you. I Listen, I've been very lucky with education. And one thing I know about our people is that we need a school to go to. HBCUs are flourishing in some parts of this country. All you have to do is apply yourself and you'd be surprised what kinds of things that you can do in this world called living. This country, the United States of America, is one of the greatest experiments in the world built on the backs of Black people. Yes. Built on the butt for slavery, the United States wouldn't be what it is. And our children need to understand, we we did this. We did, we did. all this. We, we did, did it. it. And if we can do that, being slaves, imagine what we could do with a bachelor's degree. Wow. Yep, exactly. And my mother used to tell me, it's crowded at the bottom, but there's plenty of room at the top. And that's where you need to be. And that's where our kids need to be, at the top. Oh, I and like you that. Need do, you need to do that before you go. that's right (laughs) nobody's gonna get out of this life alive yes okay not get out of this life alive nobody any any other thoughts anything else man yeah i guess last thing i would want to say and i really do believe this i don't care whether it's marriage or partner or whatever it is but i highly recommend that some that you find someone to spend your life with Human beings are gregarious animals and we need each other. And we don't just need good friends. We need somebody who um, who loves us and thinks we're kind of cute, you know? And that really does make a difference. And uh, again, talking about messing up, Brother Sage and I both messed up early and then we found each other in our Aww. 40s. And as, as uh, Living Color said, we still together. <laughs> Got <laughs> that I, black and love, I, and I noticed that young, a young black, uh, young black people especially are not getting married, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't have to be marriage. Maybe that's old, but to just find someone to who cares about you, who will honor you, who will treat you with dignity and respect, uh, however you arrange that, 
I just highly recommend that for people. Do not grow old alone. Grow old with someone who will celebrate you. And lastly, I'm going to say that this is one of the best programs I've ever been on or been connected to. (laughs) Because one thing unique about Before We Go is you're telling everybody in my age category that there's a place for you and there's an audience out there that wants to hear what you've got to say. Absolutely. 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 There are many people here in Michiana who miss Brian that would love to hear his story on how he's continued to develop where he's at today. Keep on doing what you're doing because you're highly respected here. You're a great role model. Thanks so much. I got to come back and visit you all. And eventually I want to meet you, Nicole. Yes. Oh, I have to meet you too. Yes. Bet. Well, Nicole, it was such a pleasure to catch up with uh, Brother Sage and his wife, Charlotte. They're a beautiful couple reminding us that Black love is going to push the generations through. And um, look, we've been walking on faith ever since we got to these shores. So um, there was a lot said there that I'm definitely going to take in. But, but it's always, I love what you know Charlotte was saying about the uh, simplicity and going back to the basics of family and Yes. Uh, community and just simply sharing that love with each other. You know? Absolutely. And before we go, <laughs> we want to remind everyone to reach back in history to discover all the contributions to who you are. Of course, there's so much still to uncover. So we got to start that journey today. There is no time like the present. What, what a, a gift. gift. I wish the world were truly happy.